peek behind the curtain of the Softly Training Lab with the Softly Performance Podcast. The pinnacle of human performance is out there, and we intend to find it. Welcome back to another Softly Performance Podcast and our Lunch and Learn series, Chapter 5, CNS Management, Episode 2. Guys, super excited to bring to you this episode. I know the last episode was very scientific and we brought some things that we wanted just to kind of lay the foundation down with, again, so that we can have a really open conversation how we communicate here. Again, loving everything that we're bringing here. Matt, take it away. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> apologies again for the start of, uh, of the last episode. It was, like George said, it was very science heavy. Um, today, what what we what we normally do on this second episode is is kind of dive into specifically how the content that we've we've discussed in in episode one is is relevant to the rest of the community. Um, so to start with, we're just going to jump back into what we were talking about before about the autonomic nervous system, um, which is the one, if you don't remember, that that kind of includes the sympathetic and parasympathetic pathways that that George talked about a lot last time. Um, so that autonomic nervous system, or the ANS, as you might read it, that effectively is kind of governing how we manage stress within the system, within the body. Um, and I think as a before we sort of go too far down this, this rabbit hole, um, it's really important to kind of consider from like an evolutionary perspective how the, the requirement of, of handling and buffering stress has changed. So relatively, like the, the human system... Um, hasn't changed that much in in kind of the last sort of thousand years or so um but the nature of stress that that nervous system is supposed to kind of govern and buffer has changed so relatively like george mentioned last time um this this kind of idea of a a cheetah or a lion chasing and catching a gazelle um and and those kind of stresses sort of think about those kind of things when we think about like from an evolutionary perspective what human might have faced so it's it's relatively when we when we kind of look at at studies from um sort of nomadic tribes that are still around today their life is is generally quite a lot of low level activity so walking or sitting or, or doing stuff around the camp and then these spikes of of kind of uh, excitement or stress if you like so that might be like chasing or hunting an animal or or, or kind of fighting that that kind of thing um, and that's that's what the nervous system is very good at, at kind of buffering. So we see something that's that's really stressful. We get the the spikes in in kind of catecholamine in in hormones and 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 like neural output. We go hard into the sympathetic side of things, and then as soon as the stress has gone away, so we've caught the animal, the fight's ended, whatever it is, then we drift back into that parasympathetic, that rest and digest state, if you like. Now that's quite different to how the bulk of stresses work in in kind of particularly in the west when you think that generally most people are kind of stressed about finances or stressed about work deadlines things like that so these are things that are, are what we call chronic stresses so they're not something that's going to kind of jump up scare you and then go away they're things that are going to be like present for for weeks months years and and ultimately like like we discussed the nervous system is designed to respond to something that's like right in front of you and then disappear so what's what's happening more and more is we're kind of getting stuck in this uh this kind of chronic state of stress if you like um and that's where we we kind of start having some issues with with chronic like long-term health and, and disease and things like that um so it's, it's just kind of important to to view uh to view what we're talking about through that 
through that lens. So whilst we're not inherently saying that being sympathetic is is bad and being parasympathetic is good, from a from a long term perspective, generally we we want to try and pull people more towards spending more of the time parasympathetic, but then being able to jump into sympathetic and 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 back to kind of respond to stresses. And where this is particularly important is within the tactical community where we know that you're you're going to be faced with those those kind of split second decisions where you you have to be able to perform and respond and then kind of come in coming back um now what we what we kind of so as a step in terms of well how is this relevant first of all we need to know like well where are you on that spectrum of of being sympathetic or parasympathetic so kind of think like george was saying think fight flight freeze like how it feels when you're if you've almost been in like a, a car accident or you've um, someone squared up to you in a bar or, or kind of uh, like for those of you guys who've been on ops, things, things that, that are, are kind of quite gnarly, that's going to be hard into the parasympathetic, parasympathetic end, sorry, sympathetic end of the spectrum. Whereas parasympathetic is going to be more like super chilled. You're in a warm bath, like kind of just drifting off that, that side of things. So you need to kind of, we need to know where we are on that spectrum at any given time and then decide like, depending on what it is that I have to do, where where should i be what's going to be kind of optimal um and once we know that then it's just a case of, of bridging that gap so if i know where i am and i know where i kind of want to be from a quote-unquote state perspective how do we how do we kind of bridge that gap how bridge that gap how do we alter it um and once we can once we kind of know how to to do that and again that's something we'll dive into more in, in episode three then that's that's just kind of a process that we need to learn to to kind of become subconscious um and, and what we'll do is we'll start kind of setting the scene for that so I'll, I'll hand over to george to to kind of dig into a little bit more about like how you can figure out where you might sit on that spectrum and, and how knowing that will help you know for the longest time i guess this is a guessing game when it came in terms of of understanding where my nervous system was because i never really paid attention to it it was just one thing that i didn't really realize until you know you start i think it was in 2015 was when it really kind of opened the doors. Like, how do I know where I'm at? Because that's a really good question. Is like, I, 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 when you asked, if you were to ask me that in 2015, I probably wouldn't be able to tell you. But you started doing research, and one thing I found was the, the idea of the heart. Right, the regulation of the heart is ultimately how you can determine like where your system's at. And now, can you find it out right off that bat? Yeah, there's some easy biomarker feedbacks that you can do, which um, Matt has talked about in previous podcast i believe with the saliva drill and then you then have the bolt test which is just a blood level oxygen test which it, it just kind of gets you an insight to the way your body manages co2 and the breath breathlessness um of things we'll, we'll put links to to how to do both of those those tests in the in the show notes correct but ultimately what it came back to was like i need to go ahead and understand the pattern of what my heart is doing from day to day which gives me an insight to my central nervous system my autonomous nervous system and, and that kind of really set the stage, honestly, Matt, for this idea of like understanding what my heart was doing whenever I did specific things where it opened the door to now I am looking for what my average heart rate was during my training session. And then how long did it take for me to recover from that specific event to get back below, let's say, 100 beats per minute? It was one of those things where I started testing the time between those things. And then as I started kind of digging down that rabbit hole, I fell into the hole of heart rate variability. And, and you know, 
what was really cool about that was that was like the most complex side of understanding what your central nervous system is doing from uh from a very deep depth way right because when we look at hrv and, and heart rate variability that's what hrv is and real quick so if anybody's never heard of, of heart rate variability heart rate variability is simply a measure of the variation of beat to beat intervals over a specific time so what it takes is it takes that time between those two which are r and r intervals and it allows for us to kind of get insight to what you know what the what the power is of those heart rates and it's just through a system of that and, and it was really complex for quite a while i don't think i really got a grasp on hrv until maybe 2018 2019 after i've been looking into it doing it for four years utilizing it with athletes utilizing it with myself and it, it and then obviously until now we're three years again down the road 2021 where it's even just making some more deeper connections of like yeah is hrv great 100 percent. it gives me an insight to every single stressor the individual is uh, subjected to, but at the same time, not everyone needs to to have that. I think the most simplest way, especially when guys like ourselves who are out in the field at times and and can't be just putting a monitor on their finger every time. Well, how do they get a check into like how that how their body's reacting after a firefight? Well, it's simple. You can now test heart rate just by pulse with your finger. You can go ahead, and some people you can wear a heart rate monitor. Again, well, am I saying those are the things? No, but what I'm trying to get to from this idea of how to go ahead and find that number out, it's very simple. You just have to want to do it coming down to the terms of like, okay, cool. I'm going to check my resting heart rate every morning for the next month. Well, mm. what's cool about that is I now get a pattern of 30 days of resting heart rate. And then I can go ahead and tie things to that over time. Yeah, I was I was just going to say like eventually it, it's not necessarily a, a means to an end. Eventually, like you like George was saying, you'll be able to you'll see on the like the the HRV or the heart rate trace that something will happen if you're about to get ill or if you've got like a competition coming up or if there's other stuff going on at home. Correct. You you kind of see those responses, but faster over, than seeing physical symptoms. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I know that's something that you, you're going to kind of get into next. All I was going to say is that like over time. Um, what we what we kind of want to try and encourage for for athletes professionals is is to kind of be able to recognize that from like an internal perspective so rather than having to take a, an hrv reading or checking your morning heart rate ideally you should have the um the the kind of the ability to to um almost like the the, the mindfulness i guess to to feel that actually something's not quite right today i need to back off or actually today i feel really good because that's that's how we then start to kind of work the the longevity side of this thing where we can where we can go off like your, your abilities kind of read what you're you're feeling internally so when we come to looking at the psychological responses of being able to notice the that feeling without having to use a heart rate monitor or having to check resting heart rate or having to utilize HRV, it comes down to a lot of different things. And this is where that feeling comes into play. But to get to that feeling, we still need some kind of connection, ultimately, is, is kind yeah. of the way that I look at it from this perspective and yeah. something that Matt just explained in, in the podcast. So what ends up happening is we then develop a pattern over those 30 days, let's just say you were test, testing resting heart rate. We don't even go into HRV. You're testing resting heart rate. What you're doing is you're getting an understanding of your regulation of your heart rate and how it actually reacts to your day-to-day -day stressors and your overall day. Well, cool. You notice that you had a pattern of an increasing heart rate over seven days, right? And all of a sudden, 
you notice that it starts to decrease a little bit and then it started getting to a baseline that was a little bit higher than normal. And then all of a sudden you start noticing it start to dip and all of a sudden it starts to chill out a little bit, a little lower below that. So let's go ahead and use a, the three numbers we use. Let's say the baseline resting heart rate was a 48. And all of a sudden over the next week, you saw it kind of jump up to a 50. And the following week, you saw it drop back down to a 47. And then the following week, you saw it slowly climb up over the next week up to a 51. And all of a sudden now you notice for the past two weeks, you've been living at a resting heart rate of 51, right? What you just caught there was a, a change in baseline of resting heart rate. So you can go ahead and take that observation and look at it from a way of like, okay, what was going on throughout those four weeks? Cause that's, that is a very simple way to be like, okay, cool. Well, look what happened when I was sleeping like crap, training really hard. And I still had to meet the demands of my life. My resting heart rate started to climb, but since I was doing things properly, in some way, it allowed me to have this change. And then all of a sudden my training and everything changed and it started to de deload a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it almost becomes like an early warning system, like a way of kind of predicting what performance is going to be like in the future. Um, and, and where I think, again, kind of almost going full circle, where it, where that becomes really magical is when you have the context that that's happening in. So if you're if you're able to overlay that with like your work schedule or your your training load, then that's when you can start to see, okay, well, things are kind of, it looks like I'm a little bit fatigued based on heart rate variability or, or resting heart rate or whatever, but actually I probably should be because I'm at the back end of a really hard training block. And like you're just talking about in episode one, that's where based on this idea of super compensation, we can then, like we would expect to see like a, a kind of a pick back up in performance and, and like a, Correct. And a, a decline. Correct. And, and so where does that come from us as a, as a coaching perspective? And, you know, let me take me out of the shoes of like thinking as a clinician and bringing it back to like as a coaching perspective when I write programming. I know now that whenever I write a specific way, I know what some of those sessions are going to go ahead and do to the individual. Now, that is an individual who's at a very healthy baseline. Now, what does that do to someone who is working a little bit harder? Well, we know that you're gonna have a different response to it. So at the end of the day, we're, we're able now to get an insight to how you can mitigate your own training program over time and still follow the same program as someone else. Yeah, and, and you can, and, and with like in the same breath, you can, if you know that you've got, um, say you're you're kind of going on a, a work conference or something like that, or you've got a deadline coming up, or you know that um, there's kind of family commitments, you can you can almost like um, I guess because you know what the 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 sort of the stress is going to be like, you can then pull back from from like the, the training load, the training stress. Correct. And that's that's sort of what we talk about with the the idea of this conscious warrior system is is the system side of things. How we we kind of we can utilize like the, the the different pillars, the different spheres, however however you want to look at it, <laughs> to kind of, to kind of um, I guess navigate Correct. like real life. And that's the cool part, right? And an example of that, right, is going to say, let's go ahead and say you've been tracking HRV for a month. And in that month of tracking and resting heart rate, you've seen it, you've been crushing it. But at the same time, you had a family situation, you had a family death in there, right? Within that first month. And now you kind of get a baseline, you find that you're really just, it's rough. You come out of it now after a few weeks now, and then you get exposed to someone who has, let's say the coronavirus or someone who is sick in the area, right? Or that's within your area and is sick. Well, then you're like, Hey, I think I might've gotten sick based off my reading two days after being exposed to, let's say the person, the, the, the person being sick. 
all of a sudden, now you see that your heart rate variability went down, your resting heart rates climbed quite a bit. And you knew the day before that was also a rest day. And the day before that, you were in the green, all of a sudden, now on a Friday, you're tanked in the sympathetic phase, your resting heart rate increased by five beats per minute. Those changes in those patterns is actually what you're actually looking for to go ahead and understand that, oh, this acute stressor did this to me. Oh, but this acute stressor over time becomes a chronic stressor. And then it balances me back out just as if we're using a training program, right? Because mm -hmm. again, you can, everyone has chronic stress. It's just in which way we perceive it to go ahead and keep it at homeostasis. It's when we take these acute stressors that affect us really bad. And then we go ahead and continue doing it. We don't realize how to mitigate from it. So example here with that. Okay, cool. You see that happening. Maybe you need to rest for the next three days and see what happens. Oh boy, your resting heart rate has now continued to climb from a 52 to an 82 in four days. What does that tell yeah, me yeah. now? That lets me into know that my sympathetic state right now is on fire and it's doing whatever it is to fight off whatever's going on in my system. Mm. That's, and, and again, that's, that's an example. I, yeah, I, I was just going to say from a um, kind of going beyond just the, the training and, and gym environment and looking more at like kind of the well-being side of things, that's at the point where you might want to be thinking, well, something's probably happening in the system now. Like this might be a time to start seeking medical help or to like in the, in the case of, of COVID and things like that, maybe start kind of playing it cautious and, and start thinking about quarantining and, and kind of isolating yourself. And it's like, like we said before, it's almost, it becomes that early warning system that, that kind of gives you an idea that something's happening before you start to physically feel symptoms or, or whatever it is. Correct. So like, that's just one example. And the only reason why I brought that out is because of the time period in which we're in right now right? That's mm. one way. But another way could be, it's just like, what if you just kind of been naturally just tracking it and you're working a, a night shift and that's what you do as a firefighter. What's cool about that is you're going to go ahead and find a baseline over time that your body can withhold and handle that stress that you're going through from your day-to-day -day life. Awesome. But what about if you go now onto a scene and the scene was very traumatic and all of a sudden, you know, you notice that your HRV has been quite dropped a little bit low over time, your resting heart rate has climbed over the next two to three weeks. That's an indicator of a psychological stressor of like, mm -hmm. okay, there's something going on. I'm not hurt. I'm not training super hard, but there's something going on that I haven't been able to get through. And those kinds of stressors also over time become a physical uh, injury. It, it's, it's a thing, you know, because again, the idea of the body keeps score, right? Like if, if you're not recovering from that, so that's an indication of like, maybe we should go ahead and, you know, cut back training and let's go ahead and figure out what's been going on the past couple of days. Oh, you're not sleeping well anymore. Now you're not doing any of these things. So again, this is where we can throw in that conscious warrior framework and go ahead and be like, all right, why aren't you sleeping? Why aren't you doing things? And all of a sudden now we can go ahead and pick out, Oh, it was because of that fire call that you got called and that was very traumatic after losing somebody. And I guarantee you, I can, everyone who's a firefighter has had something like that happen. And for the next two to three weeks, you're probably a little bit bummed by it or, or not, but it's still, it's still the same thing. You probably just never noticed it. What's cool about looking at it from a CNS management is we see those things. We know those things. So we get to mitigate it and manage it in a different way than you have to, meaning we still, you're still able to perform your job. We're now just controlling different types of stressors that you're in control of your sleep, your nutrition, how strong your heart is, your physical training, and then how to manage occupational stress and psychological stress. So ultimately, when we go ahead and talk about this idea of the central nervous system management, we're just trying to go ahead and also have the integration of every other pillar around it so that we can go ahead and control this most dynamic process that just handles every single biological resource in your system, yeah. you know? Yeah.
Yeah, def- and, and that, that's where like the, the conscious warrior system is, is really cool in that all six of the pillars are kind of can provide outputs or metrics. Like we can measure and see how they're doing, but they can equally all become tools. So Correct. we can we can manipulate them to help the other pillars. Um, and that's that's obviously that's something we'll, we'll get into in the next episode when we talk about kind of the, the practical take homes, the so what, what can you start implementing? Um, but, but yeah, having, having that idea of the nervous system being both something that's like a, like a, an output, a number, a, a thing you can well, track, yeah. but also something you can manipulate is, is huge. And here's another big thing too, right? The, the main question was how can we find out where we're at? Are we sympathetic or parasympathetic? The most simplest, the simple way to do that is understanding the categories of the heart of heart rate and that the categories of the heart rate are going to be your resting heart rate and then heart rate during exercise right and the cool thing about those two heart rates is it allows for you to go ahead and understand what your body is doing from the most simple way possible meaning let's go ahead and use an example of athlete a who now's heart rate is an average let's say they're in a 10 minute workout doing 10 burpees 10 box jumps the only reason why i want to use that workout because both those that workout there is an aerobic power workout it's meant to keep the heart rate high and work from there and you're working for 10 minutes so let's say we have two athletes do it the 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 heart rate that the athlete finished at 10 minutes at was a athlete one was at a 173 athlete b their heart rate was at a 163 right but then athlete b whose heart rate was at a 163 had only slept four hours had eaten like crap the night prior and was just coming off of another workout prior to that okay Athlete A slept six, seven hours, was eating really healthy, didn't have any stress the other day, so they're able to work a little bit harder. Now, if I want to go in and see how strong my parasympathetic state is working or how my central nervous system is working, I then go ahead and count how long it takes to get from that 173 or that 163 down to below. Most people will say 120. I like to go to 100 because that really gives me an indication that my parasympathetic state has kicked in now once I break below that 100 beats per minute. And now that's an indicator. So let's go here now. Athlete B took them two minutes to get down to 100 and below that. Athlete A took 90 seconds. What does that just tell me? Well, the person who just slept like crap, ate like shit, and did a workout before that, his sympathetic state's working really hard, and he's still in a sympathetic state, so it took him longer to get to it. Athlete A is doing these things that he needed to. He had a rest day. He's his first training session. He slept well. He's eating really well. Now that time took him 90 seconds. That just gives you an indication that his parasympathetic state is actually very strong in that moment because, again, his body's not trying to fight anything off. That was like the main stressor in that moment. And I guess that's the most simplest way I can look at it from a gym perspective or even from a real life situation perspective, you know? Um, and I, th- I think that's the, that's kind of the key that I wanted to kind of put out there was like, hey, you don't need to have all these special gadgets, but if you can go ahead and, and pay attention to knowing like my resting heart rate's this, my average heart rate was this in a training session or my pack, my when I got done with a specific workout, I hit that, how long did it take me to recover from that? That gives me an indication on how well my central nervous system is working. And I think at that most basic terms, that's the simplest way to go from that, right? When we talk about, you know, practical application. Mm, and, and obviously, I, I don't want to kind of, go into this too deep but obviously from a, a, a tactical specific basis we know that like the the cognitive the decision making side of things is huge um and we know that like your ability to think clearly and and kind of laterally sometimes is really blunted when we're when we're super sympathetic when we're yeah when we're in that fight or flight hence the name um because the, the body's designed to to kind of to to fight and and to 
to put out high output rather than to think logically. So if we can, to kind of link in with, with George's point, if we can get you better at being able to um, kind of respond appropriately to, to those kind of, those kind of situations and pull back into that parasympathetic state, that should improve your ability to kind of think logically and think through solutions and, and make decisions. And ultimately we know, ultimately we know that that's quite literally life or death in, in our community. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, when we look at the human first profession, second, the CNS is what kind of drives on how we're going to feel and how we operate. So it makes sense why we need to go ahead and have a, a decent understanding and, and how can we go ahead and track so that we can go ahead and get as much information possible to go ahead and help us move forward. Till next time, guys.